0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion and the world's deep need intersect. Today on the podcast, we have a great conversation with Reverend Donna Covington, Vice President of Formation at Asbury Seminary. We talk about racism, justice, and reconciliation. She shares her personal story of her son Daniel, who was killed in a racially motivated incident on September 16, 2010. As she shares her story, we talk about the hope and healing that she has found and some steps that you and I can take to bring justice and reconciliation to the communities in which we live. Let's listen. Donna, today I'm just really delighted to get to talk to you. And today we're going to be talking about some difficult issues with racism and things like that. And unfortunately, it's still a very timely issue with the recent police shooting of Jacob Blake. But you've had your own experience with a racially motivated altercation. So today, I was wondering if you would mind telling us the story of what happened to your son, Daniel, on September sixteenth, 2010.
1: So Heidi, first of all, thank you for inviting me to do this podcast with you and you're right. These are difficult topics to talk about, uh, but they need to be spoken about. Mm-hmm. And as you say, with this recent um, shooting of Jacob Blake, it just doesn't seem to be going away. So no. thank you for the opportunity to share a little bit of my own personal story and share it from my perspective. Yes, because as you know, in all of these things, we all bring different perspectives. But um, on, um, uh, September 15th.
0: Oh, was it the 15th? Okay.
1: No, you, you have it right. Oh, okay. number September 15th, I was expecting a call in the wee hours of the morning because my daughter-in-law had gone to the hospital and she was in labor. So I was expecting to get a call from my son announcing the birth of my first granddaughter on September 16.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I did receive a phone call in the wee hours of the morning, but it wasn't the call I expected. It was a call from a hospital in Louisville that said my son Daniel had been shot. And could I get to Louisville as quickly as possible? And of course, that's what I did. I had mm-hmm. no idea what his state was. I just know he had been shot. And of course, I'm driving to Louisville I was, my nephew was driving me to Louisville with the hope that he was in surgery. But when I get to the hospital um, and ask about Daniel, of course, they take me in the little room and I find out that Daniel's been killed. Oh. Uh, and that's all I know. Mm-hmm. I know it's some sort of incident. They're not telling me anything. And all I know is Daniel's been killed. And mm-hmm. so... On the way home, it is actually on the news that I get to find out some of the details. Oh, my. That it was a racially motivated incident. And I'm going to put a pin here and come back to it. And they had already declared that it was a shooting under the castle wall. So they had already made a determination. But... As time went by, after we were able to process our way through, you know, the funeral and the burial and all of that, um, I obtained an attorney, just like Mm you see most people doing now, because immediately I started to receive phone calls from a detective at the Louisville Police Station. So Daniel was killed in Louisville. Mm Mm-hmm. And the detective was telling me all these stories about Daniel, which made no sense to me. So, to give you just a view of who my son was, he was just—he was a, a football player at the University of Louisville. He had graduated in December. He was um, had gone off to camp in Arizona to train for the NFL Combine.
0: Oh, wow. He didn't do
1: great at the Kanban, so he was starting to look at some of the other smaller leagues and had just gotten an agent to try out again for the NFL. That was his dream, was Mm -hmm. to play football at that level. And um, so he had all of his life in front of him with all of his dreams. Mm -hmm. And Daniel was a sort of uh, young man. I mean, Heidi, there were, I don't know, over a thousand people at Daniel's funeral. He was, he was very outgoing. He was very social and people just loved him. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't imagine what had happened that ended up in, in Daniel being killed.
0: Yeah. Did you ever find out what did happen?
1: Well, in, in some ways, yes. So I hired an attorney. He It was uh, Steve Pence, who was the ex-lieutenant governor of Kentucky. And we also hired a uh, ex-FBI uh, agent who could start to help us try to recreate the scene and figure out what was, had gone on. But the story that Isaiah House, who the young man was that killed Daniel, and his cousin was that uh, Daniel had reached into the car on the passenger side uh, to hit uh, Isaiah House's cousin. Well, it, Daniel, that's out of character for him. So he would only do that for a reason. Well, we soon found out that Isaiah House and his cousin were using uh, racial words with Daniel. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had pulled up to a stoplight. I guess Daniel pulls in. Behind them, these are the wee hours of the morning. And um, Daniel does get out of the car to have, uh, you know, you can imagine, hey, why are you calling yeah. me this? Hey, man. And he reaches in the car to uh, hit the guy in the passenger seat. And the driver, who was Isaiah House, pulls out a gun mm-hmm. and shoots him and kills him.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: obviously, Daniel was unarmed and right. was not. That altercation wasn't expected to end that way. No. So in the days ahead, our work was to find out what happened. Yes. Now, why didn't Isaiah Howes pull off? There was no traffic. Why didn't he just put his foot on the gas? He had told a story about the gun being in the glove compartment, and he had to reach across. And, and we come to find out from... The the guy who was the ex FBI agent that he was sitting at that stoplight with this gun in his lap.
0: Oh, so,
1: so he very much had intent to kill Daniel um, that day.
0: Mm-hmm. So you said you found out on the news that they were already declaring it self defense. Doesn't that seem? I don't know a whole lot about how the process works, but doesn't that seem a little quick? That within the time you found out, went to the hospital and then listened to the news that that was, that was what they were, that was what was being said.
1: Right, Heidi. So, you know, and this is what you can, you can, you can vet these things by just looking at the articles. Mm -hmm. But that's, remember this is September 16th, 2010. So this is kind of the first time we're starting to see these racial, uh, motivated killings. Mm -hmm. and, Um, As we started to dig that out and dig around in that, um, we started to find things out like this. So from two different perspectives, the young man in the car had marijuana and had open containers. And again, if I hadn't hired some uh, investigator, we would have never known that. That never came out, Uh Uh, but it eventually came out because he found the evidence. Uh, They wanted to make Daniel out to be a thug. I told you he had been training in Arizona, and they wanted to say he was on steroids, which was trying to say he was, you know, kind of mad and wild.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, We sent the investigator to the police station, to the medical examiner, and said, that's just not true. You can't, we'll sue you for saying things like that because it's not true. Then we Mm start to see the news, you know, what they were reporting to the news change. But what the justice system would not do is bring any charges against either one of those young men. They were not yeah. put in jail. They were not held. And there were, that's, they declared it so quickly that there weren't going to be any charges to come against what? them. And you and I both know, had the situation been reversed and a young mm-hmm. African-American uh, man had killed a young white guy, it would not have occurred like that and that's that's some of the injustice that we're talking about in with Jacob Blake and some of these recent deaths that we've mm-hmm. seen over the past you know six months or so.
0: Mhm How long then did you? Because you hired the FBI agent. You hired a detective. How long did you work to try to get justice for Daniel?
1: Yeah, it probably took us a year because the way the justice system works is a district attorney has to bring charges. Oh, okay. So, you know, that's the only way someone gets charged. So when we look at the case of Brianna Taylor, the issue is, is that no charges have been brought by the district. Oh,
0: OK. And as you
1: know, it's with the attorney general now and still no charges mm-hmm. brought against anyone involved. So we worked. I had uh, Steve Pence, an investigator, I hired another attorney um, who was a ex- uh, retired Supreme Court judge. And he brought his law clerk. So I have a team of three attorneys and an investigator working to push the district attorney in Louisville, Kentucky, to bring charges. If the district attorney brings charges, then you can bring it over to a grand jury. The oh, okay. jury will hear it and they will make a decision if it goes to trial or not.
0: Okay,
1: And that's the injustice that we're, I think we're talking about during this time is that when there are no charges, the justice system uh, that's been created doesn't have a chance to work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We don't get to hear all the evidence. The facts don't come out for the public. And so um, there's never the wheels of justice don't turn. Right. Um, they don't turn for many of these African-American cases that we're talking about. We Mm -hmm. saw that in the Trevon Martin case where it went Mm -hmm. to a grand jury, and even though uh, he was charged, the grand jury wouldn't hand it over to a trial. So oftentimes you'll see these families, these mothers, just going through this long, drawn-out process, trying to put charges against the accusers of people that have killed their children.
0: Yeah, it would be... Going through a living hell, I it would imagine going
1: through a living hell. Yeah, um, because well, you know, I knew, even though I thought I thought I'd hire the best attorneys. Somewhere in me, I knew the system was not going to work for me because I was an African American. Mm-hmm.
0: What is that like to know that, but to work so hard well, to you have, have the, to just the to thing work, thing. Yeah. Because
1: mm-hmm. my son would have done it for me. Yeah. And because I would have done anything in this world for my son, for my child. Mm-hmm. And if I wasn't going to push, then who would push? Mm-hmm. So we did everything we knew how from um, a criminal case. Uh, we tried to get the FBI to pick it up for a federal case. And we tried to bring a civil case, even though this young man, really didn't have anything. We wanted it in the record that Mm -hmm. we were pushing this way. Um, And again, the point I want to make from that side of the story is really, that's the injustice. Heidi had the uh, racial lines been different. If an African-American man had killed a white guy, they would automatically take him to jail. You saw that in the Breonna um, Taylor case, when her um, fiancé or shot the policeman, they took him to jail. They didn't ask mm-hmm. him questions. They just assumed he was guilty. Right. In this case, it was assumed that these guys were not guilty. We, had, we tried to get, um, there were cameras on that corner. There were actually three city cameras. And we found out that they said none of them were working. There was no tape.
0: Wow. None of them were working?
1: None of them were working that night. So the mm-hmm. city of Louisville had three cameras on three different buildings, none of which worked. So it didn't take very long to see the police w- was working with Isaiah House's family to stack the debt.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's the injustice that people feel and sense that you see the protest around. That people want right it. They just want to say, hey, we want to see someone charged so the justice system can work and that it works for everybody and not just certain people.
0: Exactly. How do these different... Um Racial incidents that have been happening most recently with Jacob Blake, how do they affect you different? I would imagine they affect you differently than they do other people. Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: well of course, so every time we see something like this happens, it affects me in several different ways. One way is my heart breaks for these mothers
0: mm.
1: because no one wants to see a mother. Go to a cemetery to begin with. And, you know, thankfully, we're praying that Jacob Blake will recover. Mm-hmm. He'll be okay. Um, but I think the second way it affects me is it's like, how long, oh, Lord? Mm. We see this over and over and over again. so how long, oh, Lord, before you'll bring justice to our country? Um, So I I feel that lament and grief that we Mm -hmm. are processing go through. And I think that we start to see it in the third piece that that hurt. I love that we can do some nonviolent protests. Yes. But then it hurts to see the violence and the destruction. But in some ways, people are crying out, saying, if you won't hear us in the justice system, if you won't give us a hearing and a court and in what it was intended for, you give us no choice but to try mm-hmm. to cry out in other ways. So, I mean, I think it it yeah, affects makes in different ways. Um, but particularly, my heart goes out to these mothers.
0: Yes, for sure. As you've, it's been almost ten years since Daniel was killed. Mm-hmm. How have you found? hope while you at the same time lived with justice that was never served?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Heidi, because when I think about hope, you know, hope is God's idea. This is not an idea we, we invented. And we have hope in Christ. We have hope in God that he is a just God. Mm-hmm. We have hope that he will make every wrong right. And it's not just the hope of his justice, but it also starts to center around uh, the characteristics that we have as Christians, right? So we mm-hmm. hope, we forgive, we love, um, we, we have those characteristics. When I think about injustice, injustice really is the result of fallen humanity,
0: Mm mm-hmm. it,
1: It's it's not God's best. It's not what he intended. And it's never injustice has never been his intent. Um, when I look at these words together in scripture, I find justice and righteousness married together, particularly at the cross. Yes. Yes. And that is what gives us hope. That's what gives me hope of um, it's a formation process. God, how can I become more like you? And we we all do that every day. How can we become more like Jesus in the face of things that may have happened to us that aren't right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus clearly tells us uh, in the book of John, in this world, you'll have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. That's our hope, Mm -hmm. that because of the work of Christ, in um, the redemption work that he satisfied the justice of God, and he he gives us his righteousness, it gives us hope,
0: yeah, but it's sometimes I would imagine hard to wait on that justice that is coming one day down the road, at least it would be for me yeah and and that's true.
1: I don't want you to believe for a second that there aren't days, even now, every time I hear about one of these, it's a day where I say, "Oh Lord." you know, you want to take these things and to your own hands, just as they've done, right? Mm-hmm. It, these people have no right to take a life. We're built mm-hmm. in the image of God. So never in Scripture are we given a right to take someone else's life or to snuff it out. And yeah. I won't tell you that there are not days where I feel like this isn't right, should be different, and all the things that we're talking about. But then I'm challenged to set my mind on things above, Paul, hmm. Paul says again in his writing. And, and these are choices that we get to make. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, what does
0: it look like for you to set your mind on things above? Because we say that, but I, I'm not exactly sure how to do that. So what does that look like for you?
1: Yeah. So it's it's choices we get Get to get up in the morning, I think, Heidi and make. So I can get up in the morning and say, In the world, a dark place. (laughs) And it is.
0: And it
1: is. (laughs) I could get up in the morning and say, "Um, I'm going to serve the Lord with gladness. I'm going to come into his presence with thanksgiving. I'm going to focus my eyes on who he is. I'm going to see him in all his majesty and glory going to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. You know, Heidi, when we go down that path, it'll change us. It doesn't mm-hmm. just change what comes out of our mouth. It changes our spirits. It begins to change our minds. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes, yes, and, I do. And so we choose to exercise that place of formation, of being with God, of being in his presence, as opposed to keeping our eyes set there, as opposed to looking at politics or looking at all the things that are going on in the world. We're not stupid people. We know these things are going on, but we go to God and say, Lord, in your presence is the fullness of joy. So how will we process our way through what you've given our hands to do? How will Donna do that? How will Heidi mm-hmm. do that? What's our What are you calling us to? Reconciliation's mm-hmm. God's idea again. We didn't. We didn't come up with that.
0: So, what is as a seminary, as a community, and even for our lives personally? What are some of the first steps that we can take on the journey to reconciliation? Because it's not just saying I'm sorry and. Things are fine. So what, what can we do? I guess we can start personally because that's where we all start. So what are some right. things that we can do personally to take those first steps toward reconciliation?
1: Well, Heidi, I just finished reading the book several weeks ago. A friend had recommended to me called Be the Bridge.
0: Oh my gosh, I read that one this summer too. I loved it. Okay. I love and you know,
1: I don't know if you uh, paid any attention, but it just made it to the New York Times. Yes. Yes. And I think that Latasha Morrison lays out an amazing journey for us through our two racial reconciliation. That we begin at that place of lament and and Dr. Tennant has written a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful pastoral letter that lays out a lot of this process that we begin with lament and just saying I'm sorry. God, give me a place of forgiveness and grief. And we see that in the Psalms. So, so what are some of the things we can do personally um, and then in our community? I think as we start to, we begin to educate ourselves on how, do, how can we work our way through this? You know, Jesus commands us to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves So Mm -hmm. I I want to see us personally start to speak out. Let's speak out for justice and what's right. And you say, but Donna, I'm not sure exactly I know what that means. Well, we have to learn how to lead change. How do we help? you read Mm -hmm. more. How do we help people? How do we help ourselves and others go on a journey for being more like what Jesus prayed for, that place of unity? In John 17, in that prayer, Heidi, we see Jesus saying, Lord, make them one so that the world will know that you sent me. We become Rome, we become models and examples of modeling the kingdom. So we have mm-hmm. to learn how to speak for what's right and what's just uh, in our personal mm-hmm. lives. I think in our seminary community, We have this amazing faculty, and it's my prayer. Yeah, we do. We're starting to see some of our faculty write articles and blogs, and um, they're speaking. Craig Keener, they're writing books. So you see Craig Keener. I saw an article from uh, one of our faculty members in ESJ. So I think as a seminary community, we have the answer. We have the theological framework to think mm-hmm. our way through this, and we also have the feeling of the Holy Spirit. So we can think theologically, we can listen intently, and I pray the result of that is our behavior changes,
0: that yeah, we definitely. begin
1: to walk individually and as a seminary community into a place of racial reconciliation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is our call. It's our, you know, it's our call to be obedient, humble, obedient. So I don't know, those are, uh, those are a few ideas, I think, of things that we can do personally, and that we can do as a community.
0: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that definitely gets us started on on the right path to be on the journey. And I also think that the theme the seminary is doing this year um, on discipleship and Dr. Tennant talking about the theology of the body and how we're all made in the image of God um, Mm -hmm. is really applicable to racism and racial reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the verse Micah 6-8 talking about doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly. What does that mean for the Asbury Seminary community as we seek out as we seek to live out that verse and do justice and love mercy with humbleness?
1: Yeah. I mean again you're asking some great probing questions and one of the things I love about being at the seminary again is it helps us with what lens do we view scripture through, right? Our experience oh, yeah. certainly paint um, how we view and how we read uh, scripture. So, one of the ways we learn as the seminary is: can we theologically think our way through what God is talking about in Micah six eight? Oh, okay. And what? Who's he speaking to? Who's he writing to? What's the message that he's given in that context, in that community? And then how do we bring that into the New Testament, into what we've seen when God incarnate, when he takes on a body and comes to this world um, around justice and mercy and righteousness? So theologically, we're being taught at the seminary on how to think through that. And then it also brings me back to, I guess, the point I just made before on, and can we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit on these issues? The Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit speaks. So when we talk about our mission statement, we talk about spirit-filled. And as Mm -hmm. spirit-filled believers, can we hear the voice of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit Speaking into Scripture, speaking wow. into our lives, and you and I both know, Heidi. The answer to that is yes.
0: Yes, definitely. We just have to listen. And so, at the seminary,
1: look at this great opportunity we have to think theologically. So we give when we're talking about theology of the body, we're giving our mind to God,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and to listen intently. Through the Holy Spirit. We're given our spirits, and we're going to sit in His presence. So, of course, Dr. Tennant's going to teach on this um, this year, but we begin to give God our minds, our bodies, and our spirits. So when we're seeking out the work of justice and mercy in Micah 6 8, we want to take on God's characteristics, His attributes, And we get there hiding, we say, Lord, more of you and less Mm -hmm. of me. That's the formational journey. How Mm -hmm. do I have more of Jesus and less of me? So Mm -hmm. that I can love the things that God loves. I can think the way He thinks.
0: Isn't that something? That is something. That's really exciting. So we're recording before the semesters even started, but I didn't know if there were specific things along the lines of racial reconciliation that were already planned that we could talk just a little bit about and get excited about.
1: So again, we are I'm really grateful to be here at Asbury at this time. Uh, Dr. Tennant, our president, has taken on racial reconciliation and some of the injustice things very seriously. Uh, during this time. And so while we may not have specific concrete plans that we're going to be rolling out um, in the fall yet, we are having a lot of discussions
0: Mm, as
1: a team. And we want to have, it's not just what does the president and the cabinet want around racial reconciliation, right? really, as we come back into the semester, how do we get more voices involved? How do we hear the voice of our faculty and the voice of our students and our staff and so on into who we want to be as a seminary around racial reconciliation? So, um, Heidi, I think it's really exciting that we're going to be wading further into this space uh, I think Dr. Tenet, if if he was speaking into this question, I think he'd tell you that the Board of Trustees is on board. Mm, yeah, that um, we're all spending some time thinking through how Asbury might be a better place, that we might have a better culture, that we might lead in the areas of racial reconciliation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and let me just say, you know, Asbury's not just starting this journey. So I've loved that Dr. Tennant has sent me personally and to others, uh, minutes out of the archives were back in the forties. Um, the trustees and the faculty were making statements about racial reconciliation. I mean, John Wesley was making statements Mm -hmm. about uh, race and the importance of valuing every person, everyone as an image bearer of God. Um, In the 60s, our Maxie Dunham was marching in the protest. (laughs) So we kind of have that history. And then now we get to where are we In 2020, well, we have the first African-American chair of the Board of Trustees of Asbury. Mm
0: -hmm. We
1: have um, Jessica's the first dean of Chapel. Even though that's not necessarily about racial reconciliation, it's still about how do we make our environment uh, uh, an environment of inclusion where all people are valued.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Right. We're having... Dr. Pohl on the podcast in a couple later episodes talking about hospitality and goes along with what you're talking about with um, inviting people in who might not otherwise have a place.
1: Right. And giving them a seat at the table and not just a seat at the table, but a voice at the table. A voice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah.
1: And so, you know, you start, uh, we just had our, uh, the last three board members that came on in May, as you know, Heidi, were all African-Americans. So I'm excited to be at the seminary at this place and time and to see the seminary's willingness to walk into these places. That's not just the board and Dr. Tennant, but it's the faculty, it's the staff, it's the leadership of the seminary. People like you, Heidi, who are saying, you know, we we can be better
0: mm-hmm. as
1: Christians we can walk differently. we can do something different, and we can lead rather than having politics and the culture lead us
0: mm, yeah, definitely.
1: The church can lead rather than being led by the world,
0: so yeah, uh, you know, and I want to make sure sh- I'm sorry, go ahead, I interrupted you. It's harder when we're doing it remotely, so know, go ahead right? well, I just I didn't give you
1: anything specific that we're going to be doing, but I am confident that the seminary is going to be wading out into this water to make a difference. Uh, Yes, definitely. Not only for our students, but in the Wesleyan world.
0: Yes. And I want to make sure that we mention the four part series called the Community Conversations on Race that you led earlier this summer as a great resource for people to go ahead and check out because we re-released them in podcast format as well. So we'll link to those in the show notes so people can check those out if they want to. Great. So as we wrap up, Donna, I, I think we've we've talked about a lot of things, but is there anything else you want to talk about that I didn't ask already?
1: You know, Heidi, you asked some deep, probing, great questions. <laughs> and, um, I, I just want to end on this note of what we see in the book of Revelation, right? We see mm-hmm. people from every tribe and every nation um, in their own tongue praising God. So we're seeking, as we walk through this, not to change who people are because we are different and we are diverse. But what we're seeking to change around racial reconciliation is that we live in a place of the justice of God, along with the mercy of God, along with the grace of God and His love, that we aren't letting one go at the price of another. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful Mm -hmm. to be at Asbury and be at this place um, as we begin to lead change and make a difference yes. for the world. So I think yes. I said that earlier, but it's just what's on my heart and what's exciting about being at this place in this time. So thank yes. you, Heidi, for. Oh, for making you're very welcome. For this, Yeah.
0: Yeah, you're very welcome. And you're actually our first return guest onto the podcast. And so this will be the second time that you've had this question that we ask everybody. So because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast, what is one practice, it can be spiritual or otherwise, that is helping you thrive in your life right now?
1: Wow. You know, isn't that a great question in life? <laughs> All the right? going on in the world right, right. now, right? So right? COVID-19, which is isolating all of us and keeping us from being in community. We have all this racial unrest that's been going mm-hmm. on. Uh, well, I guess uh, with Breonna Taylor and uh, Hamad Aubrey, I guess it was like in March. Yes. Uh, we have a presidential election coming up. And Yeah, there's four, a lot. There's a lot going on, Heidi. And I don't know that. Well, if I had to name one practice that's helping me thrive right now, it would have to be practicing the presence of God. I mean, (laughs) we have the community as we know it. And I miss our community together because we were built for community. But Uh, yes, it's the presence of God and being in his presence and knowing that he's with us and that he's Mm -hmm. always present no matter How it looks or what he's always, Heidi, bending our ear, bending his ear to hear our cries. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing I think that has kept me going. Um, during this time, and I'm really excited about school starting again and that we get mm-hmm. to back together in community. But
0: Yes. So if I could follow up with that question, because I'm really curious, because being in the presence of God, as I've talked to different people, sometimes it comes up. I'm just curious about and it looks different for lots of people. So how does being in the presence of God look like for you?
1: So for me, it's a practice of getting I, I'm an early morning person, so I like to okay. early in the morning. And I have I get coffee.
0: I love coffee. Yeah <laughs> It's a lifesaver. Oh uh, yes.
1: And I get to sit down with my best friend. and I get to listen. And, and after I listen, I get to talk with Jesus. Mm-hmm. But for me, I envision Jesus sitting and having coffee with me. And oh, we wow. engage in relationships. That's where we spend time together. It's not that I get to spend time with Jesus in the morning and have coffee and drop him and start my day. No, it's how Mm -hmm. I get to start my day. It's how Mm -hmm. I get, you know, this thing we talked about of hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's how we train our ears. I mean, Mm -hmm. how can I hear God if I don't know him, if I don't spend time with him? Mm -hmm. It's a contemplative practice that I like to use along with you know, reading scripture, um, having a devotional thought. We have some great devotionals, right? Some of the ones, mm-hmm. streams in the desert um, to some of the more contemporary modern ones. So that's practicing the presence of God is what that means for me is that I mm-hmm. get to get very quiet and I get to be in God's presence because he desires that. That's a yeah. little bit around this justice and righteousness. we He was the person of reconciliation. We yes. fell out of favor in the garden, right? Right, right. And it was God, it was his, reconciliation's his idea. He brought us back into fellowship so that we could be in his presence. We get to practice his presence and be with him. And that's what those mornings are like for me, Heidi. Yeah, I it love keeps that. Me going that yeah. without that time, I would be dry. <laughs> I'd be dry, <laughs> miserable, and um, but it puts me on a different pathway, and it's available for everybody.
0: Yes, it, isn't that, that, that the best part? Yeah, isn't that the best
1: <laughs> part? That unlike what we talked about with injustice and the fall of humanity, where Some systems are available to some and not to others.
0: Mm, This is available to all.
1: This is available to everybody.
0: Whoever
1: will. Let them come.
0: Yes, okay. I love that. Yeah. Yes, I love that. So Donna, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today to share your story and then for those of us who are saying I stand with you and want to take the next steps for helping us learn so that we can start taking some next steps and do this well. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Heidi. and uh, thank you for the work that you're doing with this podcast and and I want to say back to you. As we're in community, I stand with you. stand in the brotherhood, the sisterhood of believers um, that stand together in unity in Christ.
0: Hmm. Thank you. You're very kind. I appreciate it. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Donna. Listening and learning are some of the first steps that we can take to start bringing justice and reconciliation to our communities. This conversation really mattered to me, and I hope it did for you as well. As always, you can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at at Asbury Seminary. Thanks for listening, and go do something that helps you thrive.